Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and super cool people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your hyperadrenergic host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Practitioners, where we are going to discuss home infusions with registered nurse and infusion nurse specialist, Jonathan Abraham, who is giving me an infusion right now. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Can you start out by describing your background and describing your job? Currently, right now, I work for a home infusion company that does specialty infusions, such as IVIG. Before that, I managed a respiratory ICU during COVID, took care of open hearts, and worked in an emergency room. And that's pretty much my nursing experience. Before that, I was a respiratory therapist for 10 years. So the last 16 years, I've been in the healthcare industry. I think that you are so impressive in your job because what it looks like, to me at least, is that you drive hours to get to me, sometimes through snow, sometimes through wildfire smoke, always through mountains. Then you have to find a vein in my arm, which is not the easiest thing. Then you make sure the whole infusion goes smoothly. You're all on your own if it doesn't go smoothly, and then you drive all the way back. And it seems like it's a really long day, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. How is it from your perspective? (laughs) (laughs) There is that stress of if I don't get the IV in, there's no one can back me up. It is always a little interesting when you meet your patients for the first time, especially going to their house, but it's a fun job. It has its own different stresses. I mean, working in a hospital was one type of stress. My wife, who's a registered nurse, I tell her the biggest stress I have is the fact that I hit traffic while she has to deal with for telepatients. Okay, let's talk about your day. So first you drive to wherever you're having to go. And then you show up and the first thing you have to do is immediately get access to somebody's vein. Yeah, we need to get a vein in. That can be the difficult part because some people take medications like diuretics that make you pee out. Or if they're not drinking a lot of water, if they smoke fatty fried foods and sugary foods, I've seen a difference in that compared to eating a good, well-balanced diet. So what are things that patients can do to make it easier for you to get access to a vein? Start getting IV, IG, like you, for example. You know what you need to do. As soon as I show up here, you go, you jump in the sauna, get your arms all nice to get those veins plumped up. Biggest thing people can do, drink water. Just be well hydrated. One, it helps with the veins. It helps getting access, but it also helps with the side effects that are associated with the IV, IG. So how did you get trained to find veins? The best way to get trained, honestly, and when you work in a hospital, you go to the emergency room. And emergency room, everybody gets an IV. Go to the ER for a day because you will put in for about 30 to 40 IVs in. 
Can you walk us through what you're thinking about as you're trying to find a vein? What I do is I sit there and I look at your arms and see what's just showing out right there. I look to make sure it's not in a bending area. Um, it's going to make the pump alarm constantly. You don't want to put it somewhere where it's going to inhibit you from doing anything. If I can't see anything good, I start feeling. You can feel around a vein. It feels like a piece of rubber. Make sure it's not too valvey. You don't want something that has a lot of valves. Valves are normal in everyone's veins. They help prevent blood from flowing back the other way. They're just like a little door and you can see them. So usually what we do when my patients with ports, when we do their infusion, they usually wear a tank top. We sterilize it with chlorhexidine. We use sterile gloves. Everything is sterile with it because the biggest complications you're going to get from a port is infection and clotting. Is that limiting then for what you can do? For example, do you need to be careful about moving around too much? As far as swimming and getting it wet, it'll heal up completely. The first month, you got to be a little careful with raising your arm, especially people who are hard sticks. Can you talk more about people who are hard sticks versus easy sticks? What do you notice that's different between those types of people? The hard sticks, believe it or not, for me, are diabetics. Sugar is such a large molecule. It's like sandpaper on the inside of your veins and vessels and arteries. So it, in a sense, gets that stenosis going on, that hardening of the inside of it. And diabetics, especially if they're non-compliant or don't adhere to their diabetic diets, they're usually vascularly dry. They don't have a lot of fluid in their vascular system. So trying to get an IV on them can be a little difficult. So what about men versus women, old people versus young people, big people versus small people? Is there a big difference there? The hard ones, if they're older with mobility issues, using your muscles, walking more, you're creating veins. You become very sedentary and you start losing those veins. With older people, they, I can tell with their left-handed or right-handed for the most part by looking at their hands because whatever hand they write with has a lot better veins. The other thing, believe it or not, people who smoke, especially if they smoke one right before infusions. Okay, so once the infusion is started, what are you looking out for or what are you thinking about? We're monitoring any type of reactions. So you can have, in a sense, any type of tissue-related reaction as far as an anaphylactic reaction to something mild where just restlessness. We want to just monitor, make sure the infusion's going in smoothly, making sure the IV doesn't blow or leak out. We want to make sure that you're just having the easiest time with this to make it as comfortable for you as possible. What happens if someone does start having some sort of a reaction? It could be either a reaction to the IVIG itself, or it could be a rate reaction. The biggest rate reaction based on the speed, maybe it's going in too fast, is a headache. So you start getting a headache, we'll slow it down a little bit. If it's the IVIG itself, if you're having a true like anaphylactic reaction, hopefully give you the Benadryl and that stops it. We call the pharmacy. We let them know you have a reaction to it. They write the lot down and see in their database to see if anyone else has had a reaction to that lot. So that sounds like the stressful part of your job. Can you talk more about the difference between getting an infusion at home versus in a hospital or in an infusion center? I was kind of surprised that my pharmacy 
actually preferred for me to do this at home where it's comfortable. I got my dog. I got my husband. You've let us go for a walk before. And it's so much better than being in an infusion center. And I'm kind of shocked that apparently it's cheaper. The hospital I worked at did a lot of iron infusions. Their infusion center they had, though, outside of the hospital, that was mainly a lot of chemo patients. It did have some IVIG. But for the most part, because chemo is such a specialty that you, I believe you need to be in an actual infusion center for it. There's not a lot of room for IVIG people to come in there for the infusion. So I think especially with how COVID was, this really shows that we can administer IVIG safely at home, especially people who are getting it, who have autoimmune deficiencies, like they're getting this because they have no immunity. The last thing they want to do is walk inside a hospital, especially into a chemo center that has a lot of people who are immunocompromised themselves. So be honest, how weird is it to show up at a stranger's house with a bunch of needles? Well, I wonder what their neighbors think. Snoopy neighbors are like, <laughs> oh, this guy comes in once a month. He has that bag. I see the tourniquets out and all that. <laughs> I mean, how does it feel when the first time I came over, you're like, who is this guy? You know, some guy's coming over and he's going to stick me in the arm. And I'm sure, you know, you've been in and out of the hospital enough to know there's people who can do IVs and there's people who can't do IVs. And then you're like, what if he can't find it? What am I going to do? What is he going to do? It's awkward at first when you first meet him, but slowly over time, you become the regular thing that comes around once a month. Online in patient communities, people who are soon to start getting infusions, I see one major question that they have is, okay, so am I supposed to like do anything special? Am I supposed to serve lunch? Am I supposed to like entertain this person? I have heard of nurses requesting lunch, and I think that's incredibly awkward and rude because you're getting paid to do this job, not to get lunch. What I would tell people that pretty much it should be as professional as possible. Let them know where the bathroom is, especially for people with home infusion, because some of the nurses, they've been sitting in that car for two to three hours drinking water. You know, that's the first thing they want to do when they get to your house. What is the best part of your job? Traveling. I get to travel all up and down California and it's a great state. So the best part is being able to travel. And I have to tell you, when I drive up, most of the time I take the longest way. I get off the freeway and I take the back roads because I'd rather prefer country road to the, the freeway. So that's why I don't see any patients in the Bay Area because it's just freeway. But the best part would have to be the traveling. What's the worst part of your job? The traveling is also <laughs> the worst part. Thank goodness I bought a hybrid when I did, especially with gas prices being... Out there, I'm, I plan my days pretty well on my long days that I have that I usually stay at night. It's usually on a weekend that my wife's working so my daughter can go to my mother's house. And sometimes you stay overnight, you said, right? I, I do stay overnight. So get a good credit card with good hotel points. And yeah, you get a lot of free hotel rooms. Okay. What is the hardest part about your job? 
sometimes put an IV in. I've heard one of my patients sat there and tell me the nurse before you that worked for another company, picked up the contract, poked the guy 20 times and couldn't get an IV in. One thing I always appreciate about you is that you're always not only calm, but humorous. And I don't know if that's just your personality or if you do that a little bit on purpose because you know it helps put people at ease. But I like it that you make jokes. And when I used to go to um, a cancer infusion center, one thing that was always tough there is some of the people, when they would be trying to get a vein, they would not hide their anxiety. And so they'd be cursing and saying, oh, come on, come on, come on. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. And so I am just curious if you put thought into the bedside manner or are you just a naturally funny, calm person? I am a naturally funny guy. Trust me, I'm not calm. My most difficult <laughs> IV patient, as soon as I poke her, you get that flash of blood. I'm like, relax. And I have to sit there with the needle without able to advance it just to give her a chance to relax so I can advance the catheter through. Oh, so you can actually observe a blood vessel relaxing a little bit as the person relaxes? Not observe it per se, but if they're having a vasoconstriction, if they're stressed and they're constricting, you can have problems with trying to thread that catheter through. Okay. So yeah, sometimes you just sit there and wait, let it relax, and then you can advance the needle. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to just say is a stereotype I have of nurses which is that they are always really can-do people with cool hobbies. And you fit this. Like, you fly fish, you're a really good chef, you make your own interesting infusions, you, you like, do all these different really hands-on sort of technical hobbies. And I just kind of wonder, have you always been that way? And that made you not intimidated to become the kind of nurse that has to be getting access to veins? I think a little bit of that is I was a Marine. So I have a little bit of that cockiness of being a Marine, you know, that confidence. But as far as the hobbies, I've always liked doing things. I grew up fly fishing. I like to golf, like to cook and all that. I think I can do it now because this job, I have a lot more time to do it. I'm not stuck in a hospital for 12 hours. You know, I go to someone's house, I may have a three hour drive, go to their house, do their infusion. We're done by one or two afternoon. Guess who brought their golf clubs in his trunk and he's gonna go play some golf after work. Very cool. Okay, I just have one more question. And I know that since your wife is also a registered nurse, you probably have dual insights on this, but what are things that in general patients can do to help you help them? Be honest. We're not here to judge you. We're not going to sit there and gossip behind your back. We need to know what's going on. The other thing, advocate for yourself. You got to advocate for yourself. So, well, thank you so much. I have so no. much respect for what you do and just the hands on taking care of people like nobody else does. And I really just have so much admiration for that strength and training and positivity. You know, you can't call in sick because you have all these patients waiting for you. And that's the bad thing. Unfortunately, if I can't call in sick, I have to reschedule you. So if I reschedule one person and if it's on the beginning of a big chain of patients, everybody gets moved. And that's why I wear a mask everywhere. Everyone's like, why are you wearing a mask? Because I see so many patients. I can't afford to move one patient over because if I move one patient over, 
it moves everyone after him over. And then in a sense, I inconvenience six people. So. Yeah. So just thank you for the performance day in, day out of well, doing amazing work. Thank you for your support. And you're doing a great job with this podcast and spreading it out and teaching people and just advocating for it too. So we appreciate that because this stuff does help. It helps patients that are newly diagnosed with syndrome like POTS. So it really does help out there. It helps let them start advocating for themselves. So we appreciate that. Uh, awesome. Okay, well, I can see I'm almost due for my next bottle, so I'll let you actually work. <laughs> but thanks a million, Jonathan. Hey, listeners, that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. We'll be back next week. But until then, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.